Well, I uh, hope that you can keep that Bible passage open in front of you. Um, like I said, um, it's the vision of a big God who sort of keeps me sort of going in my mission to the gospel, and I hope to sort of encourage that, uh, encourage you with that today. I just want to thank you as well um, for the encouragement that it's been uh, for me today to be with you. Um, it's great to see familiar faces from my time at Church of the Bridge. Really encouraging to have conversations with you, um, and just it's, it's so encouraging to hear your encouragement to your mission partners, and just let me encourage you to keep encouraging your mission partners. So much encouragement happening, right? Um, it's, it just helps so much because it can become discouraging on the mission field, and to know that there's a bunch of really keen um, and excited people um, on the other side praying for you regularly is just awesome. So thank you. Please keep it up. Let me tell you a little bit about ministry at ANU, some of the ups and the downs. One of the ups came last weekend um, when um, half a dozen or so students of ours um, said, you know what, there's a bunch of international students who are new to our campus, why don't we do something for them? And so a few weeks ago, they um, cold called a bunch of mainland Chinese guys, they've just arrived in the country a couple couple of months ago, um, gave them a phone call saying, hey, do you want to go away for a weekend? Called about 25 people, 20 of them came to this weekend away, it was raining, they drove down through these muddy roads, this, this, this old campsite about an hour west of Canberra called Wee Jasper. Um, but that night, the, the sky cleared up, and in God's providence, um, some of these, these Chinese students saw the stars for the first time and just had an amazing time hanging out with each other, making new friends, and having conversations with these half a dozen students or so um, about Jesus. Um, I didn't go to the weekend away, but I heard all about it when they came back, and they were frothing at the mouth, just thinking, like, I am more alive than I ever have been before uh, because of the work I'm doing, showing people who are hungry to know about Jesus. These people are keen and eager, and you just think, wow. There's sort of a moment where I sort of felt like Jesus sending out the disciples, and they came back going, hey, we just did all this stuff. And I mean, it's not, I'm not Jesus, of course, but it was just this moment. It was like, wow, you know, that's, that's it. That's what we do. Student ministry is fantastic. We've got these opportunities in front of us. Um, these are the ups, and it happens with international students, and it happens with domestic students from time to time. Um, but if I was to tell you about the, da- the down times, um, most of those occur with domestic students. And I suspect that it reflects the experience that many of us have on a regular basis with friends, family, and colleagues as we seek to sort of be Christians around them, to share Jesus with them, um, we know, like, sometimes it's just really hard. And it's the same on campus. Um, so I've had um, uh, an experience this year where we, we sort of had a team of people again, maybe half a dozen, and we planned out a campus-wide mission. And it was pretty big. We put in weeks of preparation. Um, the theme was called, If I Were God. And we, we made a massive banner the size of a bus. We wrote, If I Were God, dot, 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 on it, and put it up in Union Court and we had students wander past and we offered them texts and said, you know, what, what would you say if you were God? And, you know, heaps of people wrote, we filled the whole banner with people writing responses, um, just saying, oh, if I was God, I would, you know, just saying some stupid things and also saying some really deep and meaningful things. Um, and then we had, we had a week that followed up from that a couple of weeks later where we responded to each of those, to some of those things. And so we had five events in five, events in five days. Um, um, one on, you know, if, if I were God, I would believe in science. If I were God, I wouldn't be so petty and vindictive. Or if I were God, I would empower women. And we just, we went through a bunch of these things, and again, hundreds of people came along. 
And I just thought at that moment, we cracked it. We put a bit of thought into this. We put, we've got a good strategy. Uh, we've got this way of actually reaching out to the thousands of people um, in Canberra who are university students. Um, only thing is the next week, you know, when we started our group again in our public meeting, we only got maybe three or four people coming back. And then the next week, we were back to sort of, you know, a regular number. And a few of us just sort of sat around after putting weeks and weeks of preparation in there and just going, what are we doing? All this effort we're putting in, um, what kind of gain are we getting out of this? And it's at that time that, um, you know, I think people in my sort of line of work can get fairly discouraged. Um, and what I needed to be reminded of at the time, and in fact, a friend of mine did remind me, uh, she said to me, Dave, you just need to come back to Psalm 23. And I, and I thought, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but I went to it and, and sort of fed off that for a bit um, and was reminded that actually God's, God's actually in control of these things. And I had a conversation with our student president, her name's Sophie, um, one Friday morning after a committee meeting. We were sort of sharing our disappointment a little bit. It's like, yeah, what happened with that mission? Um, um, and we, we, we talked about a particular friend of hers and prayed for her and it was an hour later, I got a, a, a text message from her saying, Dave, thanks so much for the encouragement. I just spoke to her again and she said she's actually keen to read the Gospel of Luke with me. Um, so thankful for your encouragement and thanks to Jesus too for making it happen. And it was just a reminder again, um, yes, there's moments in our, in our lives um, and certainly in student ministry where it's just, um, yeah, there are moments where you just throw your arms in the air and go, praise God, so many people have become Christian. And then there's other moments where you're just like, Okay, it's a slow game. And it's during those times, um, it's, it's, so, it's so important. Actually, the Lord is still at work, even in these quiet moments, and he's, and he's still at work um, even, even now as we've planted seeds. Um, but what we need to keep going is uh, this big picture of who God is. Um, and what I want to do is uh, take us through um, Psalm 23. I want us to step back a little bit and just remember for a bit, what is it that we love about being a Christian? before we step forward and consider what mission might look like in our lives. Um, so keep Psalm 23 open. I'm convinced that we're not going to be interested in doing mission, probably, if we're not sure that we want to be Christians ourselves. Uh, but if we love being Christian, if we sort of have a, a big vision of what it means to be a Christian, to be a child of God, and if we then sort of then look out to the people around us, we'll start to realise that mission is something we won't be able to stop doing as we realise actually... God's the answer to my problems. He's the answer to their problems as well. Um, so let's step back and consider um, what it is that we love about being a Christian from Psalm 23. Um, great passage, a favourite passage for many people. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. Just let, just let these words sort of fall over you as you remember what you love about being a Christian. David writes this psalm um, on reflection of the good times and the bad times that he's had, both of those things. And he's able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Um, he starts by invoking the name of God. and So the, the subject of the psalm is the Lord. Um, the Lord, of course, being um, a substitute for the name Yahweh, if you recall that uh, the, the small caps, the Lord, is the translation, sort of a discreet way of talking about Yahweh and who he is. And Yahweh is the name that God gave himself. If you remember back to that moment with Moses, that really crazy moment with the burning bush, and God tells Moses to go and 
tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And God, you know, Moses, I'm sure, is just a little bit sort of like thrown by this and says, so who do, you, who do I say sent me to big, scary Pharaoh to do these kinds of things? And the Lord responds by saying, tell them I am sent you, or Yahweh. Tell, tell them that I am sent you. And so he gives himself this name that almost defies naming. Um, he's the one who is reality before other things become a reality. He's the one who uh, sort of imagined what other things could be like before he brought them into existence himself. And so God's not the one who easily gets told what to do either by Pharaoh or by anyone else. He's not the kind of person who um, we sort of give a shopping list to and then demand that he does things our way. He's not the one that we coerce, we put him in a box or we sort of tell him the way that life should be. He's very much the one who tells us what life should be. And yet what David's able to do here is he's able to sort of reflect on his own experience as a shepherd boy wandering, sort of taking sheep through the wilderness and say, actually, you know what, the Lord is a shepherd. He's come to realise that about the Lord and not just that he's a shepherd, but that he's my shepherd. It's quite a profound thought when you step back to think about that first line of the psalm. As he says, Yahweh is my shepherd, the one who threw stars into space is someone who is concerned to shepherd even a little sheep like me. In fact, the magnitude of this statement is matched by its consequence. Um, in David's experience, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, which is profound, but then it's, what is also profound is the consequence, therefore there is nothing I lack. Uh, which is, you know, when was the last time you said that? Um, in, our, in, our, in our world that's so driven by discontent. When was the last time you said that? And yet, this statement in itself, the Lord is my shepherd, is the kind of thing that allows David to say precisely this. So if you're someone who, like me, very rarely says something like, there's nothing I lack, why don't we let David persuade us that in God, in Yahweh, we have everything we need. And just let that image... Um, swell our hearts for God. Look at verse 2 and 3. David reflects on the good times. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Um, So often we're consumed by the things that we don't have and yet as a sheep, what David reflects here is that he has everything that a sheep needs. You know, you look at that stuff and that's, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff a sheep needs. One of the challenges I've got as a, as a, as a pastor of uni students is I pass the people who, has, who have very broad horizons. I suspect it's, it's probably not very different to you guys, actually. Uh, people who have uh, not really tasted failure or, or experienced loss, this won't be true for all of you. But, but these are, these are, these are the, the beautiful people, the, the successful people, and if they're not successful, it's just a matter of years um, until they do. And, and that the problem that I've got in, in sort of speaking to these people sometimes is that they're so dangerously close to believing that they're in control of their own lives. The key thing that David does here in the good times is to remember that all these things that he has, he has, are gifts from God. And we do well to remember this too. 
that everything we've experienced this weekend, just, just cast your mind back over the weekend, everything that's filled our hearts with gladness and love is a gift of your good shepherd, the way that he's led you along past quiet waters, every beautiful weekend, your family and your friends, uh, your harbour view, the food you've enjoyed, the chance to meet here even just like today, the chance to see your, your friends and your, your Christian family. All this are God's good gifts that he's given you to delight in. Um, we're in the habit of saying grace sometimes because we realise even though I made the food myself, we believe that God's provided for us. And that's true not just with our meals, but in every way. Uh, David continues to say that he lacks nothing that he needs because the Lord's his shepherd. It's in the good times, but he doesn't close his eyes to the bad times as well. So you can see in verse 4, he talks about the bad times. So look at verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so David's also experienced the valleys. Or what he calls here, he says, the darkest of valleys. And you can see there in the footnote, um, if you've got the, the Black Bibles, the valley of the shadow of death, which seems like a pretty dark valley, right? Um, what would you say is the worst imaginable thing that could happen? This is the kind of thing that David says he's experienced, and yet even during this time, he says that the Lord is his shepherd. Uh, even during these times, Yahweh is the kind of shepherd that David's able to say, I'll fear no evil. Um, it's, it's no secret we live in a world that is filled with fear and um, you, know, uh, you just need to turn the news on and the anxiety levels in the room just sort of go up a notch as you start to think, you know, um, any number of things sort of just remind us that we're in a world that doesn't seem to be in control. And yet during this feeling, this kind of feeling, David says, no, during this time, God's rod and staff guide me and comfort me. There's, there's these two instruments of the shepherd, the rod and the staff. On the one hand, to protect the sheep uh, from danger, and on the other hand, to guide and steer the sheep. And I wonder if, on a reflection, many of us could say the same thing that David would. You look back and you realize, actually, yeah, there's been some valleys, but so often in, respect, in retrospect, we can see that the Lord has guided me through these times. Um, we learn to trust him more through those valleys and trust ourselves less. Um, that was how I learned to be patient or that's how I learned the depths of God's forgiveness. Uh, we learn to depend upon him in prayer. And as you look back, you realize, actually, I don't think I could have developed that if it wasn't for a valley that I had in my life. And in fact, we discover that God seems to sometimes customize valleys, especially for us. And he turns our hearts from sort of the idols that we sort of so often chase after the things uh, and, and to, to trust in him. And we can't seem to realize that other things don't seem to matter quite so much as we thought. David, David sees God's work in this world really personally. And so you can, you can see there, um, he switches from talking about God in the third person, the Lord, to talking to him in the second person. He says, for you are with me. It's a phrase that sits at the dead center of the psalm, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
And so David sees he's got this opportunity to take the whole mess of crazy in his life and, and just, just to give it to God. God's not going to break if you give him all of your concern. He's not like one of your friends that if you tell them too much, they're just going to sort of back out of the room because you're just too hard to handle. God is the one on whom we can cast all our anxieties because he cares for us. Um, there's uh, a change of metaphors that occurs at this point, um, and it's important to remember that's a change of metaphors. He, he moves from talking about sheep and shepherds to talking about a dining table, and he says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's important to remember that it's a change of metaphor because sheep often occur on the other side of the meal. Um, and so it's, he ceases being a sheep at this point at the table and sort of recognises that in this fairly hostile situation, surrounded by enemies, God amply provides everything that he needs. In the least likely of, of circumstances, in the place where you'd think, no, this is not a place where you sort of stop and have a composed reflection on God. It's precisely at this moment that, that David realises that his provision. Um, it reminds me back, actually, the, the key moment of this is when you, when you look at the, remember the disciples gathering around Jesus the night before he's going to die, and Jesus saying, well, you know, guess what, guys, I'm going to die and, and rise again three days later. And, 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 and it happens. The disciples, um, so Jesus dies on the cross, and everyone's going, what? That is not, that doesn't fit with any narrative that I thought was going to happen. There are traumas in life that do not make any sense, and the cross was one of those for the disciples. And yet it was that very moment um, Sort of, uh, there was that, that very moment that we only realised later, and the disciples only realised later, was a moment where, where, where God, uh, God, God used for the greatest form of redemption. It didn't make any sense at the time, and yet God, um, in the middle of hostility with the enemies, threw Himself in front of sin and death and defeated it in that moment, and He raised Him up. He reversed it. And so there are moments where we sort of think, hold on a second, this mission stuff is not working. And I'm on the campus and I'm banging away at these undergraduates and they, they're just not responding to it. And I fail to remember that we're living in the age of the greatest expansion of the church in God's kingdom if we cast our eyes over to Asia and South America and Africa. And I feel the threat sometimes of um, the hostility of the world against Christians and about me personally, and sometimes it's been fairly hostile, and yet I forget that God sustains the world in good times and in bad times. Um, it was uh, Cardinal Francis George um, of Chicago who, who said this, really deep and true words. He said, I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. His successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. You see, friends, a bigger perspective, um, even in the midst of such conflict, a bigger perspective shows God is still in control. He's still on the throne, even in the valleys. Finally, uh, and to wrap up the psalm, in verse 6, David concludes by saying, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Uh, uh, The psalm concludes with this picture of David being pursued, which happened a lot. If you remember David's history, he's pursued by his enemies a lot. And in this magnificent moment, David reflects on the fact that he's pursued, but it's not by his enemies anymore. He is pursued by God's goodness and faithful love. God's faithful love chases him down relentlessly. And it chases him and pursues him and it captures him. God's goodness and faithful love. And he looks forward to every day dwelling in the house of the Lord, which um, if you look elsewhere in the Psalms, is the place where every weary heart finds rest because the Lord is his shepherd. Here, friends, is the clearest expression of contentment. When you realize this love of God for you, he's your shepherd. And there's nothing else that you need. You lack no good thing. God is the one who loves you um, without condition. Uh, We've seen that on the cross as Jesus died and and spread out his hands and, and died for you. And he's not the kind of person who sort of looks across the room and sees someone like, you know, that it's very possible this is happening tonight. You look across the room and there's someone um, who, who likes you and you don't know anything about that person, but out of this sort of brief impression they've got, they, 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 they like you, but they don't know anything about you. God isn't like that person who looks across the room like that. He's the one who knows you in all of your faults, in all of your, the bad moments. He knows every weak moment that you've had. And yet he still determines to love you. He pursues you in his love. He won't love you less because of what you've done. He can't love you more. You know what? I think that this is the key difference between those people who flourish in the Christian life, those people who really just sort of take off and soar as a Christian, and those people who kind of fizzle out as a Christian, whether they get this, whether they're gripped by the love of God for them, whether they know that God is their shepherd. If you're gripped by this love, everything else just kind of seems to fade away. If you get this love, I think you pretty much become unstoppable at that point. You're loved at the heart of the universe. You come to the end of Psalm 23 and it is just such a comforting passage. And I'm sure that some of you are sitting there just going, that is just what I needed. Just to know God's comfort that he is a shepherd for me. Um, I don't doubt that that's what you needed to hear. I need to hear that all the time. But friends, the point of me saying this, remember, this is Mission to Focus Week, is that other people need to hear it too. And as you look around... You see the people, just think about the people you see regularly, the people that you even don't see regularly. Um, everyone needs a shepherd. Um, I, I remember back to the, other, the reading that we had before, crowds of people are chasing Jesus down. Uh, Jesus is healing the sick. He's, he's teaching with an authority that they've never heard before. Um, and people are flocking around him. They're digging holes in the ceiling and lowering their friends through the roof because they know that Jesus is the answer to all of their problems. Um, Jesus stops for a moment and he looks out and he sees these crowds of people gathering around 
and he looks out and, he, and it says he had compassion on them because he saw what they were like. And what were they like? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, you feel like you need a shepherd? Feel like you need this shepherd? It's true for your friends too. Michael Jensen, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Michael Jensen, but he's a guy that um, writes a little bit um, in the newspaper. And in Eternity magazine recently, he reflected on the Gruen transfer and what Christians might learn from that about marketing Christianity to the world. And one of the things that he came up with was to know people's fears and to show them that we can be a little bit less afraid. Um, He says, preachers of the gospel don't need to make people fearful. They already are. And our fears are multiple. We fear disease. We fear the loss of loved ones. We fear the financial ruin. We fear being seen as uncool or overweight or out of touch. We fear missing out. Knowing what people fear is a window into their souls. And friends, I would add to what Michael says and say, knowing that people fear shows us that we've got such a simple answer to their problems. We've got the one um, who is our shepherd. The one who, who we can say in the middle of that psalm, uh, because the Lord is our shepherd, um, I will fear no evil. There's such, there's such deep hope to be found in these words. Uh, a guy called James Avanakatakis uh, wrote to the Sydney Writers' Festival uh, recently about the fact that we live in a world that is dominated by fear. And he said, we must meet um, a time of despair with hope, for if we, w- if we do not, we will cede our world to fear, desolation and despondency. And he's right. Our world is gripped by fear. People are afraid. Um, but I don't think that hope is to be found in the, the pinprick examples of human goodness that he points to at the end of his essay. What people need, friends, is a shepherd. And so with all the patience and courage that we need to keep witnessing to our friends, let me encourage you to keep it up because it's well worth it. And please, um, keep encouraging me to keep it up too. Let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we we do thank you for these rich words of Psalm 23, uh, words that Christians have worn um, and, and read through through hard times and good times. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to absorb these words into our own lives. Help us to know the goodness of the gospel, uh, the goodness of you towards us in Jesus. Help us to know personally that you are our shepherd, that you care for us. And as we do this, Lord, we pray that you'd turn our eyes outwards and realize that other people need this too. In Jesus' name, amen.